You are listening to the Girls Gone Gravel podcast, a show for women who are chasing their everyday and epic adventures. This podcast is hosted by Christy Moan and me, Katherine Taylor, and powered by Feisty Media. I know that I ditched you on this. <laughs> so let's just get that out in the open right now. Beyond my control. Sorry. It's okay. It actually ended up being fun. Christy texted me last week and was like, I'm so sorry. Like an hour and a half, hour 20 before. Our Except for, I actually thought it was 20 minutes before and I was yeah. freaking out. Like, no, I'm like, um, no, it's, you've got some, you've got a little bit of time, not much, but yeah. But so I immediately texted Brooke and I was like, Hey, can you tag it? I was like, what are you doing? And she goes, helping you with whatever you need, I guess. Thank so, you, Brooke. Brooke tagged in. That's awesome. So, um, yeah. So that was pretty fun, but, uh, well, I was super bummed because I, I, I really very much wanted to interview Alyssa. So, uh, yeah, it fun. was, we had yeah, I'm sure she was fine. Sorry. So, <laughs> yep. Sucks to be you. So what were you um, up to last Thursday? I'm not telling you we've been through this. So. <laughs> I've guessed Christy's got everything going on. And I was like, I've guessed everything from, she's going to be a grandmother, which she's not to not she bought a city block in Emporia which I think she already owns too yeah that's old news <laughs> that already happened no. to she's moving to Colorado to nope so if the news well she said I might know by next Wednesday so if you get this podcast on Tuesday and you're like you want to send some guesses in feel free what's, what's <laughs> going on with Christy what's the big oh news in Christy's life? <laughs> <laughs> it's probably something stupid like I got a new it's, 401k. Oh God. <laughs> I wish that, that would not be it. Um, no, I think it's, yeah, it's exciting, but bouncy houses like, unbound there. I think there are bouncy houses, houses scheduled. We have like one of the most exciting things. And I'm actually looking out my window at it. Um, Shimano park is going to be opened up. So yeah. What's that gonna be? The the green space between the two buildings right across from the expo. They're branding it a Shimano Park and are just gonna own it. And it's it's gonna be a really cool space. So it's you're really it's working cool. to make Emporia a bike town USA, aren't you? Um, I I don't think I'm working to. I think I've done that. <laughs> so got the I mean, it's World so the season right now because it's like the number of cyclists that are in town already, just like as soon as the weather gets warm, it's crazy. And it's windy AF here right now. So, so do a lot of people just come there to ride like all, yeah. all through the year when the weather's good? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it having done this for as long as I have, it was probably about 2018 where like you would start seeing all these cyclists out on the courses, like, you know, out on the gravel roads riding. And, and it used to be always solitude, which I enjoyed like being out there completely alone, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, all of a sudden all these cyclists are on my roads. I'm like, wait a second. And then, oh, I, that's, that might be my fault. <laughs> <laughs> that's impressive though. Cause it's not really easy to get to Emporia. I see. I disagree with you. It's a quick drive from like everywhere. It is like, not far it's from not a quick drive. <laughs> a quick drive to me is well, 20 minutes from the airport. Okay. Well, that's your problem is that you're not 
a Midwesterner at heart. That's so true. So Christy's Midwesterners like, drive. Eight hours is a quick drive. <laughs> like, eight hours is not a big deal. Eight hours is like a road trip I need to prepare for for three weeks. Oh, I know. <laughs> yeah. And then you call me through all of it. <laughs> I'm so bored. I can't do it. Why didn't That's I fly? <laughs> and I love it. I'm like, I am ready. I know what I'm going to listen to. I've got some time by myself. Give me the eight hour drive. So anyway, yeah. I think so. I got, it's because I used to, like, I lived in Texas and I had to, I would drive back and forth to Tennessee. And then I worked in California for three summers. So I would drive back and forth from, was, I just did a lot of like cross country driving. Yeah. So did I it's not buying it. Kind of like, I just don't like it. It also seems like a waste it's of time. It's okay. It's okay. You don't have to like it. It's not for everybody. So. Well, you missed a really fun interview. It was Brooke and I with Alyssa Gonzalez, uh, who some of you all may know. She's been doing some really rad things in the, the DEI space in the outdoors. And um, she's trying to open a bike shop in Colorado. So we got into that and Brave soul. all the cool things she's doing and you know the kind of community she's trying to create. And we had a really good conversation about microaggressions, uh, which we talked about with Aaron Ayala, but it was a long, Mm -hmm. long time ago. It was a long time ago. Yeah. So, and what was really interesting is we were, as we were talking about it, um, you know, I was like, share some examples of microaggressions. And then I shared, like, I was like, oh yeah, like, these are the things that I've experienced. And Brooke was like, I didn't it never occurred to me that women also just experience microaggressions, right? Because she goes to the world as a black woman. So she doesn't get the oh. just woman ones. And yeah. so I was thinking about it later and I was like, you know, pretty much every time I've experienced them, it is, it's been in the context of career or the fitness space. Um, yeah. Primarily like it's, it's not, whereas like, I think Brooke and Alyssa were talking about how they experience it in everyday life more. Um, so it, it, it was an interesting conversation. I think people will really enjoy it. So yay. Anyway, I can't wait to listen. To, you'll have to listen to it. I'll have All to right. listen to it. Um, okay. We're going to stop talking. Lindsay's back as our editor. So she'll be. Hi, Lindsay. Thankful. Hi, Lindsay. We missed you. Um, and we're trying not to talk on top of each other. <laughs> All right. Well, it's good to see you. You too. Glad you're not going to be a grandma. <laughs> Me too. (laughs) Hey, guess who's back? To live your healthiest life possible, you need to understand what's going on inside. Inside Tracker takes a personalized approach to health and longevity from the most trusted and relevant source, your body. Inside Tracker was created by experts in aging, genetics, and biometric data from Harvard, Tufts, and MIT. It provides personalized health analysis and clear recommendations, plus an action plan on how to live a longer, healthier life. Inside Tracker can also calculate your biological age, which is the rate you're aging compared to your chronological age, as well as ways to lower your biological age. The thing we love most about Inside Tracker is that they give you recommendations on things you can control to optimize your health, like food, supplements, workouts, and other lifestyle choices. And did you know that you can use your HSA, HRA, and FSA to buy any Inside Tracker plan? Which means you can purchase Inside Tracker using your tax-free dollars. Oh, and it gets better. For a limited time, you get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store when you sign up. So if you're ready to get a crystal clear picture of what's going on inside your body, along with the science-backed recommendations to optimize what's not working, 
visit InsideTracker.com slash feisty. That's InsideTracker.com slash feisty. Oh, it's me. Brooke is, oh. <laughs> Brooke is back. back in the house. <laughs> Christy, go. You can't leave. Christy texted me like an hour and a half ago and was like, you're going to kill me. And I was like, and she's like, gave me all these times she could reschedule. She's like, I was like, I already re- texted Brooke to see if she could do it. And I'm, and I'm really excited. I mean, we got a really amazing guest. I know. It's one of your friends. It, it just <laughs> happened to work out. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, actually, this is how I get Brooke back because she's such a huge fan of our guest today, Alyssa Gonzalez. <laughs> Alyssa, welcome. Hi, thank you. Yeah, um, always happy to share any space with you and Brooke. Um, super stoked that she was able to make it. Yes, <laughs> for the last minute. And and just Brooke made me promise that we were not recording video today. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. That's right. I look like shit if the audience wants to know. And I don't want them to see what that looks like. Because when they see me, I'm always put together. You got your lipstick on. I don't have my lipstick on right now, but that's okay. That's okay. They don't know. They don't know that. So that's true. Um, Okay. Alyssa, tell me, give us a little of your backstory. I know I've talked to you several times, but, uh, and I know you're doing a ton of great things in the outdoor space, specifically cycling, but I want to hear, how did you, how did you get into cycling in the outdoor space? Yeah. Um, cycling is a little bit newer. I think my whole outdoor journey started in 2016 when I moved to Colorado. Uh, I came out here originally for grad school at CU Boulder. Um, I grew up in the East coast in new England And up until I was about 24, when I came to Colorado, I hadn't seen mountains. I had never been camping, hiking. Um, The idea of going outside and doing stuff outside was very foreign to me. Uh, It just wasn't something that my family did or my mom is from Thailand. We never played outside as kids. And so coming out here, it was pretty hard not to dive headfirst into all of it when every single person either wants to go climbing or go for bike rides or go skiing. Um, and so I, I started doing stuff in the outdoors and then, um, a little bit before the pandemic in 2019, I made this promise to myself because I saw a bunch of people biking. My partner is a bike mechanic. Um, and I was like, I'm going to be a mountain biker. I'm going to do this. I'm going to get a bike January, 2020. I was like, this is the year I'm going to get a bike. I saved up money. And then the pandemic hit and, uh, bikes were not a real thing anymore. And, um, Coincidentally, at the same time, too, I had just seen a video later in 2020 of Marley Blonsky, um, and it was with Swift Industries. It was an online kind of event with um, a local bike shop in Seattle. Uh, I think it was the Stoked Spoke Series or something like that, but Marley was sharing her All Bodies on Bikes trip, um, which is what eventually became the film with uh, Kaylee Kornhauser and talked about radical adventure riders and bike packing. And for me, that was the first time that I had seen anything other than the picture of what I knew to be cycling in Boulder, which was uh, rich white dudes in Lycra on fancy carbon bikes. And you mean wannabe pros that are <laughs> right, right. older people we and like. I mean, but you I will say, I, I absolutely love Boulder, um, but everyone out here is extremely athletic and also very talented, which is really hard as a 
an adult getting into a sport for the first time and not having any idea of how to even like, I didn't know how to use a dropper post. I didn't know how to shift gears. And so it felt really intimidating. And then watching the video of Marley, um, she just made it seem so approachable and learning about radical adventure riders at the time they were called WTF bike explorers. Um, I had this huge kind of awakening of like, oh, I can be on a bike too. And it doesn't have to be really intense or really crazy, or it could be intense to me, but maybe that definition is different for other people. And that kind of started my bike journey. And um, I got my first mountain bike in May of 2021, my gravel bike a few months after and all history from there, as they say, so. That's cool. Did you, where, did you grow up in a city in New England or just your parents were just like not into the outdoors at all? No. So I was actually born in Florida. My dad and um, his side of the family still lives, lives down there. And then I moved to Connecticut when I was 10 years old with my mom and my twin sister. And we had a little sister while we were out there. Um, but we just lived in a small New England town right on the border of New York. Um, and for folks comfortable and who understand the New England geography, it's not really a place, at least in Connecticut, where you can bike around easily. There are hiking trails and like New England style mountains, but where I was, um, it just wasn't that accessible. Uh, and my mom was a single mom and with, two, I mean, I'm a twin, so with two daughters and then a little kid, uh, it was really hard for us to do anything outside of my own house and backyard because uh, she worked pretty much all day, multiple jobs. And so um, we definitely hung out with our friends. We went to the mall. We did teenage things, but a lot of it wasn't um, going on family trips, going camping, or um, even in like our own neighborhood, going on hikes. We kind of just hung out <laughs> inside. So, yeah. That makes sense. I, New England to me is one big blob. <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, I mean, that's I just know right. everybody in Vermont is really outdoorsy. And so they I just, are. I, <laughs> funny enough, I hadn't been to Vermont. I mean, I spent, gosh, like 15 years living in New England. And uh, the first time I was in Vermont was last summer for Rooted Vermont. And so I had never been outside of Connecticut, really, uh, in New York. So I grew up in New England, but definitely way more on like the New York side of things. It was yeah. really good to see you in Vermont. Like I had a yeah. great time with you at Rooted. And <clears throat> we always joke, Alyssa and I always joke that um, we both live in Boulder. I have since moved, but we both live in Boulder and we have never seen each other in Boulder. I think once I was on a Tinder once. date. She, she ran into me oh on my Tinder <laughs> date. <laughs> no, um, and also at the, the She Digs event that Brooke um, hosted last year. Oh, and yeah. So two times since we've known each other, we've seen each other in the city of Boulder. Um, majority of our time together has been out of state, which is lovely, but it'd we be nice to see her often. We see each we other do. often. We see each other never in Boulder. It's all across the, yeah. all across the world. Because we the also world. Iceland together. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get to that. But yeah. um, Catherine, I'm sure you got something for Alyssa. You got a question? <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, you jumped in pretty hard, I re as I recall. So you, you went from oh, yeah. like casually to doing some major events and really working in the space and thinking about like, how do I bring more, we bring more equity to the space. Sorry. As soon as I start talking, the dog's like, oh, I should be on this podcast. <laughs> so that's if you hear these little toenails in the background, that's her. Um, so how, like, was it just like, you loved it as soon as you got into it or you saw 
kind of give us that journey as well. Because I am also somebody that jumps right in and then goes all in. Oh, yeah, I'm definitely, I think most people in my life can describe me as an all in type of person. Um, I ran division one track in college. I was a 400 meter hurdler. And so once I got into cycling, um, I kind of took that same discipline of like, oh, I'm like, a, I know how to be an athlete in like a really intense way. So now with cycling, I just have to be super intense. And I've redefined what that meant to me. Um, but when I got into biking, um, I was obsessed with it for, I mean, the entire pandemic for a year. I had nothing else to do other than sit in my house and watch videos on bikepacking and read uh, articles about mountain biking. And in my mind, I was like, I'm going to be such a good biker when I get on the bike. And then it definitely took a lot longer for me to consider myself like adequate. And um, it was a really interesting time to get into the outdoor space um, with everything going on in the pandemic around um, just social justice that was happening in the country. Uh, I grew up in predominantly white spaces. So I, I mean, in Connecticut, went to college in Iowa, moved to Colorado. Um, and it's, I don't like saying it now, but I think back to, like I used to just describe myself as a white girl from Connecticut because that's how I thought of myself, even though I am mixed race. Um, and I always just tried to assimilate and be as similar to everyone else as I could be. And so um, during 2020, it was the first time I had seen black and brown and indigenous voices speaking up in a really big way and people respecting that. And um, sorry, my cat, <laughs> but uh, I got into cycling at the same time as a lot of the racial justice movements in America were happening. And I felt all of the barriers that a lot of people were talking about in just everyday life in the outdoor spaces that I was starting to get into too. And I started getting into the advocacy work that I'm in now, kind of just through my own social media, speaking up about the things that I was experiencing in Boulder, getting into the outdoor world or microaggressions um, that I had been facing. And I learned what microaggressions were in 2020, which is really crazy to think about because I had been experiencing them my whole life. And so um, through all of that, it kind of helped spark this fire of just being really passionate about advocacy and also really passionate about cycling since it was more than just me going out and playing on a bike. It became a really big part of my identity and how I, um, just worked through a lot of stuff, found friends, found community, um, had fun, found joy, all of that. And so it just kind of went on from there where then I was like, I'm going to do really crazy stuff in this sport and I'm going to make changes. And I reached out to people like Brooke. Um, I think Brooke was one of the first people I texted where I was like, I want to get into like ambassador work and start working with brands. Like, what do I do? Because I had met Brooke through a local group we um, have here in Boulder, where it was kind of like a I don't know what the word was. It was almost like a mentor space. So we had just a bunch of people in the outdoor world, um, mostly women talking about our experiences and how to be better and how to work with brands. And I looked up as Brooke as one of those people who were really making um, a positive impact and change. And I was like, Brooke's cool. I want to be like Brooke. I'm going to start biking a lot. I'm going to start doing cool things. <laughs> and then now look where we are now. <laughs> um, it looks like um, when you first thought about biking and the idea of biking, the intensity was being fast, being good, <laughs> um, making it. And yeah. that intensity changed to um, bringing your community. And when I say your community, I mean, people of color, you can correct yeah. me if 
strong, but bringing your community um, to the joy that you were experiencing on bikes. And so it's great to hear your history and, and why you got on bikes. And so what are you doing now? What is it that you are doing now to help support getting more folks of color on bike? And and what is your what what is what is your mission? Is that your mission? Yeah. Like talk to us a little bit more about that. Yeah, I over the last few years as I've been, I mean, moving from a beginner into this space into where I am now, which I'd say is, I mean, I'm still learning a lot. Um, my mission has stayed the same and also shifted and grown in a lot of ways. Um, ultimately, uh, everything that I'm doing is trying to uplift my community and create more access and opportunities and education and experiences for women of color, queer communities and marginalized communities as a whole. Um, I have always been a really community focused person and look at myself as more of like a community organizer than really like an activist or an advocate. Um, I see a lot of a lot of opportunity, especially in Colorado for there to be growth in the community here. And so um, I'd say my mission now is mostly focused on helping uplift that front range community um, from Colorado Springs up to Fort Collins uh, of people of color on bikes and whether that's um, individuals or brands or local groups and organizations, um, just helping support the people that are here. Because uh, there are, despite what a lot of people think, a lot of people of color on bikes already or who, who are interested in bikes. And so helping support those people that are already here in this space and helping them find more um, community and connection, as well as people who are interested in getting in, um, providing a little bit of representation and support for them too. And so um, ultimately at the end of the day, I think everyone, if they want to, should be able to be on a bike and to be able to go outside on trails and feel comfortable walking or riding their bike really hard or doing whatever they wanna do on a bike, whether it's commuting, uh, with their kids to school and to work or doing really intense bikepacking races <laughs> across the world, like whatever that is, um, I want to be able to help support the people here in my local community to do that. Because I mean, in a, it was in a selfish way, I guess, but it was more self-focused. Like I didn't have a community here when I started biking and I was like, well, that sucks. Like I am in like one of the biggest outdoor states I'd say in the country and like one of the biggest outdoor communities in the country. And I couldn't find a place where I belonged. Um, I tried going a bunch of group rides and different events and even women focused events. And I would still be the only person of color there or everyone, it would be beginner focused events and everyone still had this level of elitism or gatekeepy attitudes that I felt inferior in spaces where I was like, oh, but I'm a beginner but there was always just something off. And so um, it kind of started with me just wanting my own community. And then as the more I heard feedback of everyone else that they all want more community is kind of just what propelled me to keep going. When I talk to people who are um, community leaders in this sport and people who are doing the work that you're doing, people are doing the work that I'm doing, uh, the word community comes up over and over and over again. When we hear about events like um, the Gone Gravel Festival, yeah. um, we walk away from those. We uh, hear about this idea of community. And that's what people want, is to feel like they belong, to find a space that they belong in. 
community seems to be such a focus. I don't know if this is a new thing, if this is an old thing, if we're just defining it um, now, but talk to us a little bit about that, the importance of community. Yeah. uh, why, why do you think that, you know, especially in the BIPOC community, <laughs> yeah. we talk about that a lot. We use that word a lot. And, and being a community leader, what does that mean? So those two things. Yeah, I was actually, as I was just speaking, thinking it'd be a really funny drinking game um, to listen to this podcast episode and drink every time you hear the word community. Because oh God, I thought put that in the intro. <laughs> With non-alcoholic beverages, drink water every time you hear it, hydrate yourself while you're learning. Um, But uh, another interesting point, I have been really thinking a lot about what does community mean? Because in my mind, I think of my local community um, of people here in the front range. And then I also think of like my own friends who I have a lot of friends who don't do bike stuff and that community too. And then um, I think of people like everyone at Vice Media and people all over the country that I also consider my community. And so it's really a personal thing. Um, I think it ultimately comes down to inclusivity and that sense of belonging that you were talking about, um, Brooke, but uh, it's a tough thing to feel like you belong. Um, And ultimately like wherever that space is, like there are plenty of people of color who are super comfortable in white center spaces and that's okay. Like you don't have to say, hey, I'm a person of color and my community is only other people of color. Like the whole point of diversity and community and inclusivity and all of these really trendy words that have started being used in so many ways is um, it's all like in diversity of thought and perspective. And so uh, my community, I think, shifts a lot depending on the time of the day, the month that I'm in, the season that it is um, and like where I am. But ultimately there's always that sense of belonging and connection that it's rooted there. Um, and it doesn't have to just be this like set solid thing. And I think it's something that's always in flux and changing, but it's something that everyone really, I think needs. Um, there's a lot of power in cycling because it can be such an individual sport where ultimately you're the only person who can get the bike moving and you're the only person pedaling. Um, but when you get to do it with other people, like it just brings so much more value. Uh, and yeah, it's community is a big thing. <laughs> yeah, it's so it's not short. It's not uh, no. it's not a hundred meter meter sprint, right? It's like yeah. it's like when you are riding with someone, it's like you're on the bike for an hour, two hours, three hours. Yeah. I've been on the bike for like five hours, six hours together, and I think yeah. there's no way you can not build something with yeah. who's next to you right <laughs> yeah 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 in a way I have I mean I am a little dramatic but I've explained a lot of the harder races and bike rides that I've been on as trauma bonding but in it's like you're in the saddle and you both are doing the same thing and the experiences are really different but you're both working really hard and struggling in some type of way and so it's really powerful to be able to do that with other people too yeah it's, it's, what are you oh Sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. Well, I actually have a question for both of you that that relates to this on because I there's a big event organizer. Well, not that big. There's an event organizer that has recently like made a very big statement of like there will never be affinity groups at my event. We will never do rides about this, this, and this mm-hmm. because I believe we're all community. And 
and to me, I'm like, well, you're not understanding because there's a reason we have affinity spaces. And that's because people it's to help people feel more comfortable. And I don't know. I think like some people do, I've heard people say, well, my group ride is open to anyone. You know, why do we need a ride for people of color or why do we need a women's ride or why do we need a gay ride? And so, I mean, how would you all explain that to people? Because I know how I explain it to people, but I just love to hear your, for y'all to share both of you to maybe share your perspective on why that matters so much. I think Alyssa hit, um, I'm so bad at these, these things. (laughs) Nail on the head. Hello. No, no. Nail on the coffin. Nail on the head. You got it. Nail on oh, the head. Great. Yeah. Great. Best thing since white bread, sliced bread. Sliced bread. I'm, I'm, I'm bad at them. But anyway, so <laughs> here's the point. Um, she talked about this, and, and this is not the only thing. There are a million reasons, but I can tell you one of the most fantastic, joyous reasons for me. Every day I walk through the Colorado community and there's just a whole bunch of white folks. And that's great. It doesn't bother me. I'm one of those people who can easily go through white spaces, black spaces, whatever space. I I just tend to feel comfortable. Um, But there are times where people say things to me with positive intentions and they just hit wrong. And those things are microaggressions that I experience every single day. And um, sometimes they build up and it's really tough for me and I have tough days. And uh, sometimes they just slide right off my back and I'm I'm completely fine. Um, But there's something really, really beautiful when 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 you're not the majority people when you're not the 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 big group when you're already othered anyway because you're showing up as like two or three of the only folks of color or one black person there's something really really beautiful about having a space where someone gets you there's something really beautiful about having a space And knowing that in that small amount of time that you get to be with that person, that you get to ride your bike. And that is what causes, gives me such great joy is riding my bike. And in that time of joy that you won't experience a microaggression, that in that time that that person gets you, they understand you and they understand that, that, and it's not as if when you go into other spaces people who don't look like you, it's not that their intention is to make you feel bad. It is not that their intention is to put something on you. Um, But a lot of times you are, you're always, you're teaching people. And this is for all marginalized communities. I'm not talking about just black women. You're teaching people, you're saying, oh, that didn't feel comfortable. You're, You're deciding when and where to teach them right? Like, should I call them out now? Should I call them out later? There's something great about not having to do any of that and just getting to have the pure joy of being on your bike. And that's what I get when I go into affinity spaces, especially affinity spaces of Black women. Yeah. Yeah. That was beautifully said, Brooke. Um, And I think to add on to that, um, my first thought when Catherine, you were explaining 
just the idea of like spaces and people that might think like infinity spaces aren't needed and that because things are just diverse or like anyone could just show up. Um, it's almost in my mind, the same thing as saying, I don't see color because it's like almost this ignorance of um, people's identities and recognizing that like not everyone has the same, can just show up in the same way. Um, like if you just say like, hey, we're gonna have a group ride here at this time tomorrow um, and just expecting people to show up and feel safe and all different types of um, identities and um, people from different marginalized communities. Like, I think that's just slightly naive to feel like just because uh, some people can show up and feel completely comfortable and safe. A lot of the time, especially in the outdoors, a lot of people don't just show up. Um, and like, especially here in Boulder, it's like if there was just gonna be a random, very vague group ride posted, um, we are a very liberal place, but like, I know I could probably show up on any group ride and be welcomed, but then I pretty much will probably be the only person of color. And that's just something that I've accepted and realized. And so the times that I do get to like be with other people of color, or other people that identify um, with similar identities as me, it's super important. And um, I mean, like I was saying earlier, I'm pretty new to the outdoors in my mind. And one of the first um, like BIPOC scholarships that I had personally received was to get my level one ski instructor certification through this group called Women of Winter. Um, and this was in 2021. Uh, so I'd been skiing for about a season and a half. And um, I, I felt really weak because I jump in. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I mean, I, I mean, a year and I had been on skis like one season and then I was a little bit through my second season. And um, that's, that's still pretty new to skiing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yes. Uh, in my I'm mind, with you, like, Alyssa. My second race I ever signed up for as a triathlon was an Ironman. So I, I'm right there with you. Got it. Yeah. And so like, I, in my mind, I was like, there's no way I could be a ski instructor. But then like realizing that I just really have to teach people how to like get down the mountain safely. I was like, I could do this. But um, I went out to uh, Big Sky in, Boz or in Big Sky, Montana near Bozeman. And that event was the first time that I had ever been with exclusively people of color, especially women of color in my entire life. And I was 24 years old and I felt so dramatic because I was like skiing and we were doing this big fun run. And I looked around and there were five other women of color skiing with me. And I got emotional because I was just like, oh, this is what community is like. This is what it's supposed to feel like where like Brooke was saying the entire, that entire time is four days on the snow. Um, I didn't have to explain to anyone what my ethnicity was. I didn't have to um, just like field any of these weird questions that made me feel really uncomfortable that were microaggressions or I didn't have to explain anything about being minority in spaces. Like I just showed up and was able to really focus on skiing and having fun outside. And it was such a relief to have this like weight lifted off of me that ever since then, I was just like, well, it's such a shame if people don't know that this exists out there. Like you can be in spaces where people accept you and you feel comfortable and you belong and you could show up authentically and you don't have to have this armor or barrier up. Um, and so, I mean, very long-winded way to say like affinity sport spaces are just so incredibly important and special for folks in them. And I hope more people can recognize that it's not an exclusionary act in any way. It's mm -hmm almost, I mean, it's the complete opposite. And by excluding technically specific groups of people so that other people are elevated and have the opportunity to connect, it's just going to create a stronger community and sense of belonging for everyone. Yeah. And I think a, a, like a big racism events, it also is a signal of like, you're 
your one tier. Like there's a space. Yeah, for you. definitely. And people yeah. say we're going to have these rides. Um, so anyway, it's just a little side. I was like, yeah. oh, I don't think this race director gets it. That <laughs> um, there's some other things there too, but yeah. Before I, Brooke has other questions, I can see them, but yeah. I also wanted to before we move on because we we're using the term microaggressions a lot. And we actually have Aaron Ayala, but this has been probably t- gosh, it was early days of our podcast. She came out and she broke down microaggressions a lot, but mm-hmm. um, just first people that are like what does that mean? It, like, cause it sounds like, it sounds like a, when you hear it, it sounds very, it is a negative term, but it sounds like, yeah. well, I'm not aggressive. Right. But so a lot of times people aren't intending to do these things. Right. So could you like, just explain that? So people understand what you, you mean when you're saying that? Yeah, definitely. Um, the way that I look at microaggressions, which is, I mean, what they are, but I, I also try to not, uh, I guess, simplify it for myself too, is that it's, it comes down to intent versus impact. Um, there's a lot of people, like most of the people that uh, I receive microaggressions from are not racists. They're not bigots. They're not like these mean, horrible people that are really intending to cause any hurt, um, despite the hurt still being caused. Uh, and it's essentially comments, actions, uh, or phrases that people will say that are historically linked in racism or in oppression or um, things that kind of keep perpetuating stereotypes or small acts of racism. So for example, um, I'm mixed race. This is an audio broadcast, so I will explain how I look. I am uh, brown, I'm light-skinned, I have light eyes, I have green eyes, and I am very ambiguous looking ethnically. And so a lot of the times I will have people come up to me and say stuff like, oh my gosh, like, what are you? Like, uh, there was this one time where a couple had come up to me, an older couple here in Boulder, and they were like, me and my husband, I've been sitting here, uh, we were at a coffee shop, and they're like, we were looking at you, we've been trying to decide like what you are for the last like 30 minutes, can you, can, and then they guess, and they were like, I think you're half black and half white, or I think you're Middle Eastern, or are you Hawaiian, or what are you? Um, and it's this it was extremely offensive to me. And I, I refused to respond because I have never walked up to a white person. I'm like, I've been sitting here for 45 minutes and I'm trying to decide what type of white you are. Like, and so that's just kind of an example of how I typically face microaggressions on a daily basis is just people wanting to know what my race and ethnicity is. And, um, some other types of microaggressions are, can be like women in cycling and people making comments about like, Oh, like women not being good enough or, you need support on this hill or like, you could just walk, honey, it's okay. Or little things like that, where it's not intended to be mean, it's trying to be supportive, it's trying to be nice, but the impact is a lot more hurtful for folks and um, makes them feel unsafe in a lot of ways. And so I think uh, just my advice for people going into spaces or ever talking to anyone about anything, like just don't make or don't make comments about people's appearances. Don't make comments about people's athletic abilities or anything like that. Like you don't know what people's experiences or lives are coming onto or getting onto a bike or walking onto a trail or just walking down the street. And it's just, there's lots of other ways to give compliments or to ask questions and to communicate with people that feels more respectful. Um, so yeah, microaggressions, <laughs> they're everywhere, but uh, uh, I think I, people I, are starting to become more aware, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. I had one, an interesting one in Austin a few months ago. We were, you know, I work with all women's team. Like we're 
very feminist. So I just get, I don't get used, like I'm not around this anymore. I work from, I hang out with my dog here in Tacoma, but we were at dinner and like, it's like our whole team. And then like a bunch of really rad women. And then this guy shows up. I don't know how he got invited. I think he was like a friend of somebody and he sits across from us and he knows about one of our podcasts and he's like, Oh, I love that podcast. And he tries to tell us how to market it. Mm. And then I'm talking to him about something and this drives me crazy. And he's like, um, I asked him, uh, he told me he used to work for a certain company. And I was like, Oh, when did you work for that company? He's like, Oh, it was back before you were even in college. I was like, dude, I'm almost 50 years old. (laughs) Not that much older than me. Like, you know, just assuming like you're the cute little girl that I can take care of. I'm like, Mm -hmm. in the context of like, we're having a business conversation. I was like, Oh my God. So little things like that. Yeah. One of the most frustrating things about going to big gravel races in the last few years is I have been getting sick pretty much every time I travel. And I travel about once a month for work or to a big gravel event or something related. And it's so frustrating when I get there and I can already feel the sore throat and the cold coming on. And it really takes me out for several weeks. And that's why I'm excited about our new podcast sponsor, Prevenex. We've worked with Prevenex within our Feisty brands for a long time. If you listen to Hit Play Not Pause, you've heard about joint support. Um, you've also heard about how their great protein powder. But I am really obsessed with this product called Immune Health Plus. It has helped me go from getting sick every time I travel to I've not been sick one time this year. And, and I've also been on the road a good bit already this year. So it has everything that you need for immune health support, and it's way better than anything you're going to find in a grocery store or health food store. It's supercharged with immune boosting ingredients like elderberry fruit, extract, zinc, vitamin D, vitamin C, and calcium. Now, if you want to stay healthy through your race season this year, you're going to use the code Girls Gone Gravel for 15% off your first purchase of Immune Health Plus or any of their other products. That's Girls Gone Gravel for 15% off of your purchase. And you go to Prevanex.com. You can find that in the show notes. Okay, Brooke, you can get back to your questions. <laughs> well, y'all been talking for so long. I can't even remember my questions. Thank you so much. I think it's really important for people to understand that there's two very interesting things that happen in the conversation that I heard between y'all. And that's one is usually when I think about microaggressions, it's very centered around me as a black woman, that we we're like walking around receiving microaggressions all the time. And of course, like white folks don't understand it. And I think it's really, really interesting um, that I had this kind of narrow idea and like have been enlightened that like women in general experience microaggressions all the time. And um, that this is an idea that white women can understand because it is happening to them as well. Um, And so thanks for that little bit of enlightenment. Um, (laughs) Yes, I will. I do not experience them nearly as much as either of you would, but I do. And when you say microaggressions, I'm like, oh yeah, I could give you 10 examples, like off the top of my head. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Me too. Easily. Most of them have to do with just like someone touching my hair or saying, oh, your hair is beautiful. Is that yours? Oh as God. If, as if like black people can't grow beautiful hair. Um, <laughs> like, you know, like, and I'm, I mean, I do wear extensions. I'm very proud of them, but um, just like people don't understand like that mm-hmm. 
they're saying that in a very nice way. And, th and that's when I say you don't know whether you correct them there in front of their friends or later or, or not at all. Um, so that's the tricky thing about microaggressions. But it's great that your audience can also understand that idea um, that because they are experiencing that as well, um, most of your audience. And number two, I was just wondering, Alyssa, we talked about these infinity spaces, and that's one way of um, being welcoming, creating welcoming spaces. Um, what 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 are you doing to create safe spaces? This is your work, um, right? Correct. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, what are you I doing to create these spaces. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's a great question. Uh, a lot of what I do is supported by me. I'm a team of one and I have a lot of lovely brands and organizations and um, individuals that I work with and support the work that they're doing too. But um, I have been trying to figure out what spaces feel the best for me to be able to start doing. And I mean, there's endless amounts of ways that I can start creating those opportunities for folks. But I find that I, mean, I really love interpersonal connections and meeting up with people and going on rides. And so a lot of what I've been doing lately is um, I host a coffee outside ride in Boulder. It's every other week. And um, once a month we do an FTWNB focused ride and we kind of just get together, make coffee and go for a tiny little bike ride. And that's been really cool because it's more, it's not just BIPOC specific or for women and queer folks, it's everyone. Like we get lots of different types of folks with different um, identities and intersectionality showing up. And it's become this really cool space for people who feel left out of the cycling community here in Boulder to just meet up and drink coffee. And some people don't even ride bikes and they still show up, which is really fun. And so um, I, I mean, it's, it started snowing a few days ago, but it's sunny now again in Boulder. But as the weather starts getting warmer here, my plan is just to continue to do stuff like that. Um, starting to do more group rides and educational events. And I'm going to get my mechanic certification in June. And so I want to be able to just help some people who want to work on their bike and don't have the money or um, the time to maybe even go to a shop and do stuff. And so the way that I've been trying to shift how I look at the work that I do is how can I connect with more folks and be in community with them physically? Um, because so much of my my work too is also on Instagram and social media. And the more that I can get off of that and get like in front of people and talk to them that way, I think that can help um, create a little bit more feeling of that sense of belonging that hopefully they could pass on too, where they bring another friend to one of the events or one of the group rides or something like that. And so a lot of what I'm planning on doing this spring and this summer is just riding my bike and inviting people to join me and um, doing the things that I want to learn and want to do too, and hope that other people want to be involved in it as well. And I saw in your, uh, you filled out a pre-interview sheet, you're thinking about opening a bike shop. Is that still true? That is very true. Um, it's this, I mean, like I said, at the beginning of the podcast, I kind of go all in and I have been in the cycling world for like two years and I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to open a bike shop. Um, and something that I really noticed when I got into biking and uh, is how much of an impact a infrastructure and a tangible space can have. Um, I think like six years ago, I was in LA 
and I was walking through Echo Park and Silver Lake area and I walked into Golden Saddle Cyclery, which is now closed. But I walked in there because I was just walking down the street and I bought a t-shirt because I was like, this is what such a cool, cute shop and they have all this fun, fancy bike stuff. And that was my first time ever in a bike shop. Um, and then over the years, and especially as I've gotten more into cycling, I saw how much of a presence that shop as well as lots of other shops have all around the country and how they can create this huge sense of community. And um, especially for people in cycling, a lot of the microaggressions and uh, issues that we face is walking into a bike shop. And that's kind of how people look at it as like their resource and their tools. And um, it really sucks to walk into a shop and like not be treated with respect or uh, to have zero idea of what you're looking for and no one will help you because of what you look like or what they think about you. And so my big plan is to have the first women owned and also the first women of color owned shop in Colorado, um, having it be a community focused shop. So community sales and service, but um, the people is the most important part. And uh, I've been communicating a lot with other people in the front range and people in Colorado and trying to ask them what they want and what they're looking for out of a shop and what the current uh, area isn't really serving them. Um, and so I'm working with two other folks here in Boulder to get that started. Um, and so I have big plans of March, 2024 opening that, but uh, I've been working on it for the past seven months or so, kind of in the background um, and really diving into the community side of things and the events and the meetups and like building that strong base. And um, I haven't heard anyone say that they don't think I should do it. So I'm going to continue on to this dream uh, of being a bike shop owner. And I know I'm not going to get into a bike shop um, kind of ownership thinking that I'm going to become a millionaire and be rich, but uh, I'm super stoked to at least build the community and have a space where like this advocacy work that I do can live long-term because I love social media, but like, I can't do it forever. Um, I am a millennial and I love the internet and all of that stuff, but it's, it feels so much more impactful to be able to talk to people in person and to be able to do my work that way. That's very cool. Is it, are you looking to open it in Boulder or just somewhere mm -hmm. in the front range, like the right place, Boulder? In Boulder. Yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Woman owned, woman of color owned in Boulder. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> I think it would be really special. Yeah. 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 I mean, bike shops have like that potential to be a third space. You know, they talk about mm -hmm. having your, you know, like gyms or churches or people's third space outside of family and work. And, um, I saw that when I lived in Atlanta firsthand, like the best bike shop in Atlanta was like the tiniest little space, but yeah. everybody would just hang out there on Friday afternoons and hang out. Like literally it was the smallest space. You probably think that like <laughs> 10 people in the whole shop, but everybody would just go hang out on the sidewalk on Friday at the end of the day and drink beer. And because the community was so good there and the, the way you were treated by the mechanics and the bike shop owner and everybody yeah. there was so different than anything else you experienced there. It just had such a power in the community. That's awesome. So I, I have no doubt you can do it. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate the support. <laughs> Well, cool. Well, uh, is there anything else that you want folks to know about some of the work you're doing? Or I feel like you would do so much that. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I do do a lot. I have a full-time job outside of all of my advocacy work too, which is fun. Um, I know Brooke knows the, the hustling mentality, but um, now, I mean, I, a lot, we covered a lot of the stuff yeah. that I feel like is important. And then I want people to know, I think 
ultimately, um, I just hope more people get on bikes and more people uh, can slow down a little bit and open up their minds and listen to different perspectives. And uh, next time they're out on a trail, make a new friend and say hi to someone they normally wouldn't. Um, but yeah, that's it. <laughs> I want to say, Alyssa, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this season and I'm really looking forward to, I know you sticking local or trying mm -hmm. to stick local and yes. um, just, yeah, I'd love to be a part of all the things you got going on. So <laughs> I I usually, where, where are you racing? Yeah. Where will we see you this year? Oh, I was oh like, gosh. I'm forgetting a question. <laughs> where will you see me? So um, I'm going to, I think my next event is in May in California. I'm doing the Rafa Yomp Rally, uh, which is a kind of bikepacking rally that Rafa is doing um, from Santa Barbara to LA. Uh, and then I will be uh, Ned Gravel, Foco Fondo. Um, I'm going to be at Last Best Ride later this year. Uh, I really want to focus on doing more bikepacking. Last year was my first real year doing it. And I spent an amazing week in Iceland uh, doing the West Fjords Way Challenge with Brooke, doing the hardest thing I've ever done. And so this year I want to do that, but here in Boulder in Colorado. And um, so I'm going to just be trying to bike for fun and uh, in between all of that stuff. And I think in the works with Swift Industries to host their camp out um, that they do every solstice. Um, so that'll be in the end of June. If anyone's in the front range and wants to go bike hacking with me for the solstice, let me know, but I'll be all around. All sounds amazing. And then where yeah. can people find you? Like if they want to connect? Yeah. Um, Instagram is the easiest way. It's, uh, my username is underscore underscore Alyssa Gonzalez, uh, A-L-Y-S-S-A-G-O-N-Z-A-L-E-Z. -S -S okay. We'll put it in the show notes as well. Well, thank you all so much for this conversation, Brooke. Thank you for joining me very last minute. Thanks, uh, Brooke. Christy, you missed out on this. <laughs> <laughs> and Alyssa, thank you so much for making the time to chat with us. Yeah, thank you. This was awesome. Yeah, thank you, Alyssa. You're you're quite wonderful. You're so wonderful. Thanks. <laughs> you have been listening to the Girls Gone Gravel podcast. This podcast is edited and produced by the team at Live Feisty Media. If you've enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating. It really helps other women find the podcast. And be sure to follow us at Girls Gone Gravel on Instagram or Facebook.